All right, let's look together at 1 John chapter 3. Uh, as I said before, we've already been in this series looking at the book, and it's a great letter. I love 1 John, and uh, mostly because it's kind of simple as you go through it. John is not pulling any punches. Simple, and then once you start reading to it, profound. And so 1 John is a really cool book because this letter that's being written to the church is coming from an older Christian elder who has been around for a long time. In fact, John is going to be so old and so influential that eventually the Roman government who's trying to squash Christianity, they're sending people to lions. They're sending people to be burned at the stake. They're executing people. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Peter is going to be crucified upside down. But John, who's this older sort of statesman of the church, uh, the Roman government decides that it would be not in their best interest to kill him because it might cause an uprising because the people love him. And so instead, they exile him to an island called Patmos, where he's going to write the book of Revelation later, as the Lord gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is John. Everybody knows him. Not only that, this is John who was walking with Jesus, closely with Jesus. And all the disciples were, but John especially was walking close. They were friends in a deeper level than some of the other apostles. And so people know that. They know that about John. They know his gospel that circ circulated around, and I mean like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John his account of these are all the things that have been happening with Jesus so that everyone would know. And so John is a famous guy, but more than that, he's a man who's acquainted with sorrows and who has walked with Jesus. This is the John to whom Jesus gave Mary, his mother, on the cross and said, you take care of her until the day she dies, he stays in John's, she stays in John's household. That's a special relationship. And that special relationship exudes through the pages here in this simple yet profound way. So let's start to reading together 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 11. John has been talking about being uh, God's children. He calls us little children here in the end, end of chapter 2. Um, not in a pejorative way to put us down, but instead as God's people and those who come to him in a childlike faith, that we're the children of God. In doing so, he tells us that we need to abide in God, we need to love one another, and then he goes on here in verse 11, and he says, For this message... You have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of life unto death because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love, the word, love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Praise the Lord for his word. Simple and profound. So, as we're reading this passage, here's where the questions come in. As we're reading this passage, we hear about this guy, Cain. So there's some supposed knowledge there, right? Does anybody know who Cain is? Yeah, do you know? Nice. Well done. Well played. Okay, what about Cain? He kills his brother. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm, true. So like a math, see? Math, I see it. Good job, Ian. Well done. Ian is a math whiz, and his dad is too, and it comes through. I love it. Ian, you're right. You get a gold star. Not really. There's no gold star, but you did great, buddy. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Here's what the Bible is about. God created the world. The world was good. God made man and woman, put them in a garden. The world was very good. He was excited about it. He liked it. He walked with man in the cool of the day. And man's job, this guy named Adam and his wife Eve, was to tend the garden, to protect it, to cultivate it. He got jobs like naming animals and things like that. But really, he's walking in communion with God. That means he's walking in friendship with God. And God had one rule. The rule of the garden is, basically, you follow me, and I'll provide for you. Anything you want to eat here, you can do. You can eat any of this fruit, except this one tree right here. Don't eat this tree. If you eat this tree, you're going to die. Now, that tree, why was it a tree? Why was it fruit? Why did God decide? I don't know, but that's what he did. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He gets to do what he wants to do. And everything is good. And man and woman are having a great time, and things are going well. They're walking with God. And then the serpent shows up. Where did the serpent come from? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what the Bible does tell us is the serpent does not belong in the garden. He's an invader. So he comes in the garden, slithers around that tree, and he starts talking to Eve. Now Eve is the vice regent governor of the world with her husband. So Adam is number one in charge. She's number two in charge, ready, of the world. So she's an important person, and she's an authority. But her husband is also with her. He was the first to be created. And so he's kind of the guy with her together. And that's important because they're together. So the serpent comes, says to Eve, hey, this fruit looks pretty good. Did God really say you shouldn't eat it? And she goes, well, I, I think, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because really we have no record that God spoke directly to Eve. He spoke to Adam. Don't eat this fruit. So Adam told her, don't eat the fruit. So now she's standing there, and she looks at the fruit, and he says, you know, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. She goes, yeah, I, I guess I never noticed. Let's say it was a banana. I don't know. It doesn't matter what kind of fruit it was. Let's say it was a banana. And she's like, wow, it peels so cool. It's the coolest thing ever. And he says, the serpent says to her, you know what God's doing? He's holding you back. He knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. You become your own God. Your eyes will be opened. You'll know good and evil. You're going to be like him. He wants you staying low, not to be his level. And she goes, well, well, we should eat it. And so she believes this lie, which is a lie, and she eats the fruit. She gives some to her husband who was there with her. He eats the fruit. And immediately they know they have failed God. Immediately they realize they were naked, and they'd never realized that before because there was no shame in the world. Could you, can you picture that? No shame because there's nothing wrong. Suddenly they realize that this God who's going to come walk with them soon, he's better than them. And so in their shame, they hide behind the bushes. They try to make some clothes for each other. And they're trying to, ready, hide in their shame from the God who's created all things, made them from the dust, and knows everything. So God comes down and he says, who tricked you into believing this lie? And they say the serpent. There are other things that were said, but those are other teachings. 
and God brings a punishment on them. Now, God had told them, if you eat of this fruit, what will happen? You will die. So if they don't die, what does that make God? A liar and unjust. And the Bible tells us that he cannot, he is truth. It's not that he cannot lie. He is truth. There is no lying in him at all. So if he says it, then it's going to happen. And so man and woman and the ground, because they're in charge of the whole earth, are cursed. And in Genesis 3.15, God says this. He says to the serpent and to the woman, he says, I'll put enmity, that's strife, that's conflict, between you and the woman, to the serpent. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to still bring about something, a son, a seed of the woman. And this is translated from the original Hebrew, it's masculine. So the son is going to be born. And this son is going to come and he's going to write this. He's going to crush the serpent's head, but he'll bruise your heel. So here Adam and Eve, they hear this truth. They're cast out of the garden. God puts uh, clothes on them from the skins of animals. He pushes them out. And now they're not in the garden where everything just is wonderful and there's fruit everywhere. Now there's thorns. The earth is cursed because of them. By the sweat of their brow, they're trying to eat. It's hard. They're not walking with God anymore. They're separated from him. Death enters their existence in every way. And the shame that they're carrying goes throughout. And God is so faithful and kind that he allows them actually to have children. And they have these two sons, Cain and Abel. Turn over here and or look over in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. And during this time, Cain, he is uh, growing crops and doing all these things. And Abel has these wonderful sheep flocks and all these kind of things. And so they decide to bring an offering to God. Abel brings a good offering, the best that he has. Cain brings some stuff. And God tells him, hey, what are you doing? Because remember, who is God? He's the creator of the earth. And his parents have told him, you don't mess with this God. He's the Lord. So he brings stuff. God looks kindly on Abel's offering. But on Cain's offering, he does not look kindly. And he tells Cain that he needs to rule over this temptations to do bad things. And in, in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? And the Lord said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Wow, that's terrible, isn't it? Now imagine you're Adam and Eve. You ate the fruit. Sin, shame has come on you. Death has entered. You're cast out of the garden. You no longer walk with God. But the Lord made a promise. He's going to send a son. And that son is going to crush the serpent's head. And now Eve has had two sons. How incredible. And she's holding these babies, and surely one of these babies is going to be the one. Surely one of these babies. And then, as they grow into manhood, now they're coming into their own, and they're starting to learn, and, and Adam and Eve are trying desperately, imperfectly, to teach them what it used to be like, to try to get back to that thing, and to guard from the serpent and all this stuff, and 
And yet all the work they do, thorns are coming up and it's hard and the sweat of their brow is strong because they're just trying to eat and it's difficult. But these two babies, they've grown into men and now this one Abel, he gives this offering to God and the Lord is pleased with it. How incredible. And Cain, he gave a bad offering, but you know what, Abel, Abel is my son. Abel, maybe he's the one. This is, surely God's gonna be good and, and make good on his promises. It's him. It's got to be him. And then Cain raises up and kills his brother Abel, the first murder in the Bible. And the, the, I mean, can you imagine? Could you imagine being there and just the desperateness of this? But what does God say about this blood? So remember, truth, he's only truth. He cannot lie. And also, he's completely just. And he knows everything. And he tells Cain, where's your brother? He knows where his brother is. What does he say to Cain? What have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You see, the wonderful truth of the gospel is this, is that no person could fully satisfy all the requirements that God had because God is perfect. Nobody could be perfect. Because sin entered the world and because people fell into the shame and brokenness, there was no one who was worthy to be able to make things right. And so God had a plan. And his plan that he had hatched in Genesis 3.15 that we just read of this son who would come would happen thousands of years later when God would send his own son. When the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is the son of God forever, it's God himself, became a man for us. And not just a man only, he, he actually, understand, went to become a baby in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. He actually had an umbilical cord. He actually grew inside Mary. He actually had to be fed or he would die. He actually sweated. He actually had body odor probably, just because he's a person, right? He actually got tired sometimes. He was tempted in every way we are, and yet without sin. How is that possible? It's possible because he's not just a son. He's the God-man. He's fully God and fully man simultaneously. He is a man, and he's also God. And he came to earth for us that he would fulfill all the requirements that God had for us because he is worthy where no one could be worthy. And Jesus Christ lives a perfect life where he was tempted to sin, but he never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He never bought into the lies. He never ate the fruit. He never drank the Kool-Aid. Instead, he followed God completely. And out of all this, out of a perfect life lived, it was the will of the Father that he would do something for us that would be so incredible, so unfathomable, that nobody could understand what was happening until it was happening. And that thing that he would do was he would take all of the wrath of sin for all of mankind for all time, and he would put it on his son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, though he was without sin, though there was no treachery in him, died a traitor's death for us on a cross, which was the Roman way of crucifying, of killing traitors to the empire. And God put his own son on that cross and poured out his whole wrath on sin because there was no one who was able. There was no one who was worthy. There was no one who could take the punishment except God himself. And ready for this? Jesus, the Son of God, died for us. 
to pay the penalty that we deserve. Because God said, if you sin, you will surely die. And every one of us have fallen short of his glory, of his standard, of his law, of his perfection. But Jesus Christ alone took all that punishment. Now, it's one thing for somebody to die. People die all the time, right? People even, even die for other people. That's why we think you know, soldiers and police and all these kind of firemen are so wonderful. Firemen go into houses that are on fire to save other people at the risk of their own life. That's amazing. But sometimes those firemen don't make it out. People die all the time. But this guy, Jesus, the God-man, he took all the wrath of sin, and three days later, he rose back to life. How could he do that? Because he is God. He is also one of us, a man, our brother, who went before us to pay the penalty for sin and then also fully have life. And here's the great news that John is telling us, is that just as the justice of God was offended by the first murder in history and the blood of Abel is crying out to God, in the same way the blood of God's own son, Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, cried out to him a new cry. This one wasn't for justice to be done because his own son was murdered. This one was because his son died in our stead that now justice was complete. And Christ even cried out, it is finished. The justice is done for us. And so now the word over you is not, you are unjust, you may not enter. Now the word unto us and over us that's crying out from the blood of the lamb is, you are worthy because he is worthy. And you can come before God himself again in communion with him if you believe in Jesus. And this is the great news that John is telling us about. That this blood, this was spilled for us, is better even than that blood of, that was crying out of Abel's. God made good on his promise to send a son who would save us. John gives us a check in verse 15. He says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you don't know that no murderers have eternal life abiding in him. You know, this word abiding is really interesting. Did you know that the, the word, this is, was written in Greek, this originally. First John was written in Greek as a letter. And so Greek was a great uh, word. It was like the international language of business, which now is English. So English, everybody understood it. You could communicate with it everywhere. If you want to do business in Taiwan or somewhere, you can usually use English, and people get it nowadays. And this time, the international language of business was Greek. So the Roman Empire is overseeing everything, but everybody understood Greek because that's how you did commerce. And so in Greek, when he's talking about this word abiding, the Hebrews also needed to figure out how to uh, help everybody understand the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew. And so they wrote a version of it in Greek that could go out to everywhere. And when that was translated, it's called the Septuagint. When the Septuagint was translated from Hebrew to Greek, when they first talked about the relationship between Adam and Eve, those first people created those first people together that God made in the garden, the first marriage, the word that's used there is the same synonym that's here for abiding. That these two people would leave each other's household of their mother and father, and now they would abide together. This word abiding that John's using is a loaded word that we don't get the connotation to because it's a marriage word. It's almost like he's, start, he's starting off this letter saying, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today, and suddenly you're in a context, right? So when he talks about abiding in Christ, he doesn't just mean make your home in Jesus. He doesn't just mean in your house put up nice scripture things around that you got from home goods. 
He doesn't just mean that we read our Bibles a lot. He means that we abide with Christ in the same way that we're in a marriage relationship like with him. And this actually is a mystery because Paul even tells us in other epistles that the relationship of marriage is a reflection of God and his church, of the relationship that he wants to have with us. But this is why John can tell us that no one has eternal life abiding in them if they're murderers because the relationship is fractured if they're killing other people, if they're breaking down. Why would that be, do you think? Why do you think that is? I know I just unloaded a bunch of stuff on you. Yes. So if you love God, if you're connected with him in every way, you're abiding in a marriage-like relationship, you're going to follow his priorities, right? And if you're contrary to his priorities, you're going to be contrary to God. What's, what's God's priority? Yeah. yeah. He loves us. We're his. We follow him. We do everything he says. And we love one another. Let's read on. It'll tell us. Verse 19, by this we know that we are of the truth and we we reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Feel that like in a marriage relationship? And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is good news. This is good news for us because God has given us his very spirit that we would know him, that we would be in relationship with him. But it wouldn't just be a relationship that's defined by little text messages back and forth. It's a relationship that has depth like a marriage, that we're close to God, that we know him, and that we see him. Now, John is going to go on. He's going to tell us that because we have this assurance from the spirit that he has given us, his Holy Spirit, which is in us, that we should test the spirits. Here's what he says in chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. And we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We're going to play a little video now of a song. It's a great song. It's a wonderful song, and it's good, and I like it, and I'm for it. Just from the outset, because I like to play music videos. And uh, everybody's always like, is this good or bad? (laughs) We're going to talk about the song, though, because the context is important in the song. So we're going to watch this for just a minute, and then uh, we'll talk about it, and we'll close and dismiss. All right, let's watch. together with Pastor Chris and Pastor Stephen on Thursday to just go in after the presence of God and try to pen lyric and melody and 
after a couple of hours, it just felt like the presence of God just stopped everything. And we wrote a song called The Blessing. And it's straight from scripture. And it's the heart of the Father over us as his kids. And we're gonna sing it this morning if that's okay. And this is a blessing over you and your family and your children. So just receive this this morning. Just put your hands out in front of you. Turn your heart to a place of just receiving the blessing of heaven from God himself over you this morning.
upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children Great song, right? It's an excellent song. Here's why I played this song for you. If you play this song out of context, without what I just told you about Jesus Christ, then there's a lot of people that believe that's what Christianity really is. It's just about being blessed. It's just about God doing things for you. It's just about life being okay. But we just read in 1 John that God's desire, His commandment for us is that we would follow Him, that we would believe in Jesus Christ and we would do what he told us, that we'd love one another. And the depth of Christianity is so much more than just what the emotion of this song brings to us. And I like this song. We've sang it in church. It's a good song. Don't get me wrong. But out of context without the gospel, it makes us think that we can receive blessing from a God who looks at us and sees disgusting things without Jesus. It makes us think that God is just here to make us feel good and that everything's going to be better and that just the right song is going to come at just the right moment and that's going to make it all right and it's going to be fine. And at the end of the day, it's not true if you don't have Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus himself has received all blessing and all honor and all glory. He, he alone is the one who has all blessing. And now us as his children, little children, do you know him? Do you walk with him? Do you know his spirit? Does he abide in you? Is it like a marriage that you are with him, that your whole life is his, and that you can say, Lord Jesus, I have nothing to offer you. But Lord, you offered yourself. You claimed me. Because you, O oh God, died on my behalf. You who are fully man and fully God, tempted in every way but without sin, you suffered my wrath. 
that I might know the righteousness of God. And now because you have all blessing, all honor, all glory, and my whole life is a tribute and a, a communion with you to walk with you, my whole life is before you as an act of worship because you, oh God, you are worthy. And thank you, now I can receive the blessing that is rightfully yours that you give to me because you love me? How, how incredible. And I know that me, my tongue is murderous toward other people. And you said, no murderer can abide in eternal life. But God, you took my murdering tongue who kills my own brother day after day. And you poured out a blood that speaks a better message than the blood of Abel because the justice of God has been met in Jesus. And now, in the context of his glory, my children, children's children, children's children's children, see his peace, know him and walk with him, not to get the Ferrari. John is writing this as he's fleeing from his life from Jerusalem from Roman soldiers who burned his home, who besieged the city to the point where mothers were eating their own children. It's horrible. It's, a, it's sin. That's what John was fleeing from when he wrote this. And we take it and say, God's going to bless me with that new car. God's going to bless me with a good job. God's going to bless me with everything I need. And the reality is he may because he's so good. But truly he has blessed us with his son. He has blessed us to walk with Jesus who is perfect, though we are not perfect because he cleansed us by his own blood. He has blessed us with peace by his own son so that we can enter in now in communion and know him and cry out to him. And he received our prayers and he hears us and he meets us with mercy when we don't deserve it. And he is our healer. He is our peace. He is our strength. Stop reaching to God for the blessing. You're missing him. You know, sometimes we can reach to God so much for the things we want that we fail to actually walk with him. And John is remembering us in a simple yet profound way. Abide with Christ. Test the spirits. Don't ever let any blessing message or anything or authority or whatever it is apart from Jesus enter your heart unless it's through him. Because he is our peace. He is our authority. He is our life. He is our blessing. He's everything. And then wherever he goes, our whole heart's cry is, Lord, I believe in you, the only son of God. I believe in your cross and resurrection. And I will do all that you've commanded me as you give me ability. And thank you, Lord, that you forgive us when we fail. Because he's so good. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't abide with him, if you have been following after blessing, maybe for a long time, but missing out on actually walking with God, today is the day of salvation. And I want to tell you this. It will be like a lightning flash to you, but there'll be no smoke. Special, we're not going to do special effects. Here's what you do. You say, Lord, forgive me. I know that I'm not worthy. I know that I cannot do it. I'm not perfect. But Lord, you sent your son. He died for me. He rose again. I believe in you more than I believe in me. That's the gospel. And now I walk in your way. I turn away from all the junk that I've done. Help me, Lord. I don't even know how to do it, but I know with you, I'm on the right path. And then we will disciple you in the word of God so that you can actually walk with him. And it'll be a lifelong thing. But your whole life now is apart from just seeking things and instead seeking him. 
And I'm telling you, he's so faithful. He, he's, he's found. He, he finds us. He rescues us. And it puts us back together. And suddenly life is right. Because our whole lives we've been trying to meet this need that all along he has already filled. How good is he? If that's you today, when we conclude here in just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. Come up and let me pray for you. If it's been a long time, or maybe you've realized, maybe I haven't tested the spirits well, and I've been trying to sing all the songs, but nothing's happening, and I feel just there's nothing happening inside there. Let us pray for you. Come up. The elders are here. We want to pray for you. We want to see God open your life up in a great way, not just to bring you blessing, which he will because he's good, but to know Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for you. We all stand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy to redeem our lives because you shed your blood for us. Thank you, Father, for a blood that cries out to you better than the blood of Abel. Thank you that you cry out over us who are washed in the blood, just, redeemed. Lord, we are so thankful. Lord, you've made us yours. And so, Father, in our imperfection, we look at your perfection, we say, thank you, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your spirit, God, that you have placed yourself in us that we might know you. Lord, we want to serve you every day. And so we lay ourselves before you as spiritual acts of worship. Lord, here we are. Take us. We belong to you. Father, I pray that everyone here, everyone watching online, Lord, everyone that this may affect, Father, that you go, God. Lord, straighten our desires. Help us to see you, God. Open our eyes. Lord, let our lives be lives lived out for your glory and not just for our own selfishness. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short. And instead, help us, God, that we would walk your way, that we would honor you in everything we do. Lord, that we would see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, it's our heart's desire to see Jesus glorified in every way. You alone are God. You alone are worthy. And we praise you in Jesus' name. May the, may the wonderful will that is perfect of the Father be evident in your lives. May the redeeming blood of the Son wash over you so that you would see him with eyes opened and revealed by his Holy Spirit. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit that affects all these things, that his salvation is upon you, that you abide in him because he is the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. God bless you all. Thanks for coming.